0: Welcome to the Benzinga Interviews podcast. I am your host Tony Noto. In this week's episode, we are bridging the digital and physical worlds with Kiran Sinha, the CEO and founder of Illumix. And I was late to this interview because I was busy covering the strike that is going on in Hollywood. And as you know, from from a person in your seat, what is your perspective on just the entertainment world in general? Uh, It seems like. In the world of augmented reality and video games, uh, it seems to be you're, you're a little bit detached, but one of the video games that you're working on is currently uh, in the works. It's going to be a, a big budget movie. So I would just as, as a person who's got a, a foot in that world, how did you react to these past few weeks?
1: You know, I think we're going to see a lot more of this tension between what has how work has historically been done versus what's happening now fueled by technology. I really focus on that space in between media and technology. And I think, you know, certainly with the rise of AI and just more automated underlying um mechanisms to create content, which we've been seeing over the past decade, but I think has been accelerating. You're always going to have that tension between how things were done, human labor, human creativity against things that ultimately I think push push the industry forward. But it's always a question of at what cost. And when there's a human element to it, which is I think what we're seeing in these strikes, it's always, I think, more at the forefront and a little bit stickier. And I think from from our perspective, certainly. I think that the one thing we don't see tech ever fully replacing is human creativity, right? Mm-hmm. I think there are ways to accelerate. And certainly with AI and generative AI, there's a lot of talk around this, but we, I still very much view it as something that can accelerate what humans are able to do, not entirely replace it. And I think that while we sort through that, given the steps we have made in AI recently, we're just going to see a lot of this tension. And, and certainly the macroeconomic environment doesn't, help right because technology yeah. suddenly starts to look a lot more efficient and cost savings and it it brings up really difficult human decisions at the end of the day
0: well i'm I'm fascinated at just how um our behaviors are going to change when we when it comes to interacting with ads in addition to games because ad- advertising and content are um just so engaging in general. I mean, some of the best storytelling is done in video games. Some of the best storytelling is done in in commercials. So I would be interested in hearing your thoughts on how Illumix plays a role in the evolving uh, aspects of of ad ad technology and video games. There's sort of a marriage there, right?
1: I think so. I mean, I think when you break down most forms of content, anything effective, whether you're telling the story of a brand or a product or whether you're telling the story of a world or universe or IP, at the end of the day, it is just that, which is how effectively can you tell a story and how does that match the medium? So, you know, ads have obviously been around for ages in different yeah. formats, right? When I was a kid, it was predominantly print ads and then more kind of TV. And now we're seeing things that are hyper personalized. I think that's a great example of the evolution from how do you tell a story with a single image to now you have, you know, 15 or 30 seconds to, you know, now you have maybe less time, maybe it's back down to five to 10 seconds, but you can really hyper-personalize to a person and have different ways of telling that story. I think that where Illumix fits into that, and I don't think it's, you know, purely ad driven, I'd like to say, you know, we certainly focus on the full gamut of storytelling, but how can you actually walk into that world? Illumix is really focused on, as you mentioned, bridging the digital and physical worlds and in particular doing that at venues. So if you're at a sports stadium or you're at a, you know, music concert, you're at a theme park, I mean, you're at a retail location, right? Any of those places, I think physical experience is so core to it and how can we really seamlessly blend in the world of digital? And so I think what you're going to start to see is for example, if we know you're interested in a particular team, maybe your experience at the stadium looks different than if you're a visiting fan, right? right. That's a very conceivable thing. And and yes, maybe that ties into ads, but maybe that just ties into what you're experiencing, right? If, if it's your home stadium, that might be different. If it's your first time at a theme park versus you're a regular and you're a annual pass holder and you come 10 times a year, it would make sense for that world to evolve with you. How can we leverage digital to do that and to tell that story in ways that I think dive into more immersive and more personalized ways that ultimately feel more natural.
0: Really yeah. what we're,
1: yeah, go ahead.
0: <laughs> uh, that's what I imagine. Like, like, um, like a more interaction in terms of like products, you know, being catered to us and how we interact yeah. with retail and products that we, we gravitate towards. Um, it seems like that's like a direction that we're going.
1: Certainly. I think that in general, we're seeing more and more interactivity and immersion over time and how we tell stories. Right. Uh, again, going back to the ad example, really what you're seeing is a, a deepening of immersion of how how far you involved you can get with that story, with that brand, with that ad. And I think ultimately of interaction. Right. You see this most prominently in gaming right? How, how much of the industry that now is, how much growth we have seen over the past decades in gaming is, it's really entertainment's first way to step into making, you know, the what used to be a viewer, you're now the protagonist, right? You're the actor, all of a sudden, right. you're the one who's making impact on the world. I think that's a really powerful thing.
0: So now, talk to us a little bit about Five Nights at Freddy's, because that's, a, that's, this is a good transition. I mean, we'll- <laughs> How can we describe in simplest terms, you know, why this game is so fantastic, because it kind of reminded me when I was reading about it, when we spoke uh, earlier this year, learning about it and reading up on it, it kind of has like a Pokemon Go aspect to it, but taken to like the next level.
1: I think that's right. I think that Pokemon Go really leaned in on just collection. Like you walk around and you collect something and that's a very visceral mechanic and I think it fits that IP really well. When we think about Five Nights at Freddy's, which is just such a phenomenal franchise, you have great characters, you have this horror element, you have, I think, the camera that is very central to it and the original games Traditionally, you're sitting there kind of as a security guard monitoring the cameras. And we just thought there's something so clever you can do with augmented reality and it being camera first and how you're experiencing the world. And what we wanted to really do was create something that was augmented reality first. So in Pokemon Go and many similar games, AR is often the side feature. You you know, you right. can turn it off and most people do turn it off. So you're not really engaging in the digital physical world. It's more about GPS and geolocation we wanted to create something that was really about again blending the digital and physical to create this fantasy or you know nightmare and kind of the case of a horror ip come to life and so our concept was what if these characters were actually stalking you so you're not going to find them they're finding you they're coming to you in your home and your office you know wherever you are and when you play the game and you open it up you have to use ar as a way to identify them different characters have different mechanics on how they move or what kind of tools you need to figure out where they are and how to defeat them before they before they get you and so that kind of survival mechanic i think was a really was really a twist on what people had seen it was something that was much more ar first and i think just created a different experience and for us it was a total experiment right nothing like that had really ever existed and we've been you know thrilled with the audience reaction to it. We've had over 50 million downloads purely organically. You know, we've seen hundreds of millions of these characters battled and interacted with. It's uh, been a really incredible journey.
0: So now with the offshoot of a movie, does that sort of trickle down into a Lumix? I, I mean, I, I got to see that, you know, the, the rising tide lifts all boats sort of thing.
1: I think in general, it's more about the wider franchise, right? I think a movie right. is another, it's, it's always about, how can you tell the story again in a different way? Whether you're taking something that's traditionally been a movie and turning it into a game or whether you're taking game IP and turning it into a movie, which we've seen more and more recently, right? With the Mario Mario. movie, there's really starting to see things that are games and stories that people are used to being in an interactive way, having this this kind of movie element to it. And I I think it's really exciting. I think over time, we're gonna see regardless of which side you start in, everything is gonna have that passive sit back element and that active sit forward, engage element to it. You know, a great example of this was uh, the sphere in Vegas, which I think everyone read about and said, okay, this giant screen, what is that gonna mean? It doesn't totally resonate. And then when you see it for the first time, all of a sudden it clicks on, wow, that's amazing, and that's the future, and that's really special and cool, and I think that's very much how we feel about a lot of our augmented reality. If you read a description of Five Nights at Freddy's, for example, you might not understand what's so scary about, you know, a character appearing when you're just looking through your phone, but when we did it, and I remember this vividly, it was one of my favorite moments of building the company when we did our first playtests. And people were, we put them in these rooms and we gave them really early versions of the encounter and people were backing up into the corner because they were so frightened viscerally (laughs) by this thing. It was the funniest like videos or like things to watch kind of from the perspective of someone building it of these people who are completely by themselves in a room, right, in a bright sunlight Uh, we're literally everyone ended up with their back against the wall because they felt like something was encroaching on them, and that's really when we thought, okay, we've got something here.
0: Okay, well, I Mark Cuban and Michael Bay think you got something there. Um, how hyped are they? (laughs) And how hyped are they? And the other VC backers, like Lightspeed, uh, Radar, and Unusual, like, are are they just just because, you know, VC funding is, is tight for everybody right now. I think volume is down. But you guys this year, you sec- secured um, uh, quite a bit, uh, quite a nice round. It was, um well, the last time was 8.6. And then this one was 18 were the, million. Additional. Right. We are for the 18. Uh, So how it, it, that says a lot.
1: Well, we're always very grateful for our VC backers, those who are new in this last round, as well as I think every, you know, everyone participated again. And so I think that speaks volumes. And, you know, we're very, we're very specific about who we bring on board to make sure that they're bringing the expertise and, you know, you have the right syndicate around you to help support and grow a company, particularly in such a new space. So we've been, I think, very thankful to have such a Talented, experienced group of people around the table who understand media, who understand technology, and you know, understand consumer and understand enterprise. It's really at the intersection of a lot of different disciplines. Yeah. Uh, certainly, it's been a difficult time. I think in general for people to raise, but we really focus for ourselves on where are we in the future of the industry. And I think that when you think about where AR is going, and I think certainly, you know, if you look at Apple's announcements, Google, this is a part. Of, this is going to be a part of the future. I think we're really representing the forefront of that field, particularly with our niche being in venue based entertainment. So I think that that helps position us. And again, you've got to have the data behind it. Five Nights at Freddy's and some of our, you know, customer traction in the venue space, I think both spoke to our leading position in that market.
0: And the timing is so right, because post covid people going back to the concert venues, back to the stadiums to watch ball games and and just any event really um it's there I mean, I imagine there could even be um like a lateral movement in, in political events and that sort of thing
1: absolutely when you really think about the scope of what, how this technology can be used? You know, we gave these kind of always-on examples of. There's always something going on at a stadium or a concert venue or a theme park, uh, cruise ship. But there's tons of live events as well that can be everything from political rallies to, you know, fashion shows. I mean, retail events. You name it. Every time people gather in real life in a physical venue, there's an opportunity yeah. to deepen that with digital.
0: So, in, in your, so you've been doing this for years. You have the um, the educational background. You started the company. What's it like uh, sitting in your seat and getting just all these? What I imagine, like a lot of pitches and ideas from KKR and and Cuban or, or, or any of the the folks who have a stake in in your in the startup. Do you just what is it like? Is it difficult to field all of that input? And and how do you handle that sort of thing?
1: You know. In some ways, I don't think it is because I think that part of your job as a as a CEO, certainly, if not a founder, is to have a really clear vision on what is happening and communicate that clearly and frequently, both internal to the to the company, but also to that external bench. And so we're quite we're quite clear with here are our goals for the next year or the next quarter. Here is how this has changed. And we bring those people around the table because they have great exposure and great ideas. And I think it's often less centric, or centered around AR, right? That's what I think about every day. And that's what theoretically they've invested in us because they believe that we have a unique perspective that they believe in and want to get behind. But I mean, whenever we have questions or thoughts or I want to run something by them, I, feel very fortunate to be able to call up names like those that you mentioned and get an opinion. But at the end of the day, look, it's always difficult when someone's given you a lot of money and you're calling them to say, I appreciate your suggestion, but no, uh, we're not going to do that. But I think once you do, people respect it. As long as you are listening and I think you follow up and you know, you're know you taking it seriously, you're not being frivolous with it or not not seriously measuring it. I think that if you think deeply and you say, this is I think not right for the company either right now or in general. And this is why I've never seen issue with that. I think that it's part of your job as a CEO and founder to, to say no, otherwise you're going to get pushed off course.
0: And last question, uh, who inspires you? I try to get this question into all of my guests.
1: Oh, oh, so like many different angles you know the one that's closest to my heart is definitely my mother, who I think really like cleared the path for me to believe I could do anything and really not be afraid of obstacles along the way, and so she would be my kind of number one, but when I look at um in the There's tons of people inside of the world as CEOs, but I actually think Bob Iger is pretty high up there in terms of the ability to manage an organization that is both very heavily technology and media oriented and be able to balance those two. That's a skill that I think about all the time in the context of what we're building, which is probably more anchored in technology, but has applications to the media industries. And so uh, I think that watching him and listening to him and even how he presents as a CEO, there's a lot to be learned there.
0: Well, Bob Iger would be wise to contact you and Illumix and work out something soon. <laughs> Probably this happened already. All right. Thank you so much, Kieran.
2: Did you know nearly all stock price changes of 10% or more result from a single news headline? That's right. News headlines have a unique ability to drive stock prices up or down. These news catalysts create trading opportunities every day.